I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Government rules and regulations are intended to protect people from harm, but sometimes those same rules just keep them from working at all. How should we rethink licensing laws so consumers are protected and, that important and, everyone can actually get back to work and businesses can grow and thrive? Mark Hyden is the Director of State Government Affairs for R Street Institute. He joins us on the line today. Uh, Mark, of course, the, the president said yesterday we, we got to get people back to work. We got to get the economy going. Uh, sometimes government gets in the way uh, and prevents that from actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Boyd, thanks uh, for having me on your show again. And I think you and I could probably give them a few ideas to uh, get more people in the workforce, and that's by stripping away some of these unnecessary and ridiculous regulations on occupations that should be regulated in the first place. Yeah, we've looked at a lot of that uh, here in the state of Utah and trying to reduce that uh heavy hand of government. Uh, I think you said it best in, in your piece, uh, going back to Thoreau, that the government is be- is best, that governs least. Uh, how are we seeing that play out across the country, uh, both at the federal level, and then, of course, you see that at the state level as well? Well, I see a lot of the occupational licensing requirements and reforms happening in state legislatures, uh, and, and things are progressing um, in a, in a positive way, I would say, about 20 states or so have universal recognition, meaning they will recognize your occupational license from an, from out of state to come in your state and work. But you have some other states. You know, I, I was actually born in Utah, but I live in Georgia now, and my state has not been great. We, uh, in some respects, we require people who blow dry hair to have a license. We require librarians to have a license. And I can't for the life of me figure out why the Dewey Decimal System is so important <laughs> that they need a license. Well, that's, you know, that's high risk uh, material there. You got to make sure you've got your, <laughs> you don't have your Dewey Decimals down. That that could be devastating to the entire economy, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. But like the, the problem, and I, I'm making light of, of a serious topic, but as this is rolled out in different states, we're seeing the consequences. It keeps people out of work, um, and it drives up consumer costs. Some of the recent um, studies that I've seen have shown that it, it costs billions of dollars on the economy every year because this is a cost to work. That cost is passed on to consumers, but at the same time, it restricts the workforce so that it creates a scarcity of workers who can then charge consumers more money. So it's it's bad all the way around. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm glad you raised that point because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Mark, was the fact that a lot of these licensing laws disproportionately impact uh, women and minorities, keeping them out of the workplace. 
That's right. And I want to be very clear that I don't oppose occupational licensing. I, I think there are jobs, sure. you know, engineers and doctors absolutely should be licensed. But we, we over-license and over-regulate a lot of lower-income uh, jobs, whether it be cosmetologists or, or HVAC workers. And then at the same time, we often don't recognize the work from um, the, the experience from veterans who would be able to transition t- into these occupations once they're out of the military. So there are a lot of things we can do to make the system better, uh, but right now we're taking baby steps. Yeah, and how do we get to that? Is it is it having the state legislatures uh, develop? I know we've done some of this here in the state of Utah in terms of some of these sunset clauses or these you know re-examination moments for uh, some of this regulatory stuff. What's the real key uh, to make sure that, as you said, we're not for not regulating anything. It's doing it, doing it in a way that's strategic, that actually produces the right results. How do we make sure we get there? Yeah, absolutely. Utah, I mean, I can't speak highly enough about my home state. Uh, Utah's done fantastic, has been a leader in occupational licensing reform. But I think first thing is is lawmakers should listen to more of their constituents. Uh, The problem that we have often when it comes to occupational licensing reform is that the industry likes occupational licensing and they want increasing standards because then they can act as gatekeepers to remove their competition. Um, It's always important, I'm sure, to listen to the industry, but they also need to be listening to workers who want to get into the workforce. And if this is keeping them out, I think something is wrong. Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and let's kind of ratchet it up a, a notch there, because a lot of times when we're talking about this licensing, we are talking about a lot of uh, sole proprietors and individuals trying to get into uh, some of these occupations. But you, you mentioned the the businesses that being able to use uh, this kind of regulatory stuff to keep competition out. Uh, I saw that when I was in D.C., uh, the, the armies of lawyers and lobbyists who who whine and complain about overregulation, but uh, kind of give the wink and a nod because they know it just prevents any competition from coming into their space. And it's pro- uh, proliferated as well. Uh, in 1950, uh, scarcely 5% of professions were required to have a license. Now that's closer to 30%. Uh, so the government is really getting into people's business uh, in in the most uh, personal of ways, keeping them from, from getting a job and providing for their families. Uh, I, I think instead we need to look and find out and ask ourselves, do we absolutely need these licenses and regulations for um, public health and safety? If the answer is no, then perhaps we need to revisit if we need them at all. Yeah, and really looking at some of those uh, sunset provisions, I think is a great opportunity to do that and say, okay, you know what? We've regulated this in the past. We've licensed this in the past. Uh, this is no longer needed. This is not, you know, public health and safety, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, is there anything in particular, uh, Mark, that you're looking at in terms of things on the horizon, either at the state or the federal level, uh, that we ought to be aware of or that we ought to be watching? I haven't seen as much at the federal level other than a few um, passing phrases from uh, the prior administration. I think the best uh, work is coming from the states, and that's where we should continue to focus. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see more interstate compacts so people can cross state lines that or look into forms of reciprocity or universal recognition um, so that – your license doesn't cease to to work as soon as you cross the line because, you know, whether you're a doctor or an engineer, crossing the state line doesn't mean a heart works differently. It doesn't mean that physics works differently. 
So I want to see, uh, see us lower barriers uh, like that, as well as probably pick off a few um, licenses that don't make sense. Like Louisiana is the only state in the country that requires florists to have a license. And I have no idea why. I mean, Venus flytraps really aren't much of a danger. Yeah. Um, so, so looking at, at, at doing that, um, and, and giving people credit for some of the, the training that they've had, whether it be in the military or as apprentices. Um, and lastly, I want to make sure that we're not using uh, people's past mistakes because they have a minor infraction on their criminal history. I hope we're not using that to keep people out of the workforce. Uh, so important. And uh, actually, in, in mentioning the military, I think that's uh, one one quick one for you. Uh, I know there has been some federal legislation to to help. Obviously, we have family members of military uh, who move around a lot. They get uh, deployed or they get moved to and assigned to another base in another state, and suddenly that disrupts a family's income. Uh, if suddenly, uh, you know, whether it's the, the wife or the husband, suddenly has to be relicensed uh, can really cause problems for our military families. Yeah, they move on average every two years, and they have little to no notice. So if you have to restart the licensing process when you move, by the time you actually go through it and get a job, a year may have passed. And, and this is that's legislation that I've worked on um, here in Georgia and, and as an organization we've worked on elsewhere. We need to make sure that if they're transferred here, we do as much as we can to recognize their prior license so they can get to work because they're making sacrifices just like their spouse that's in the military. Uh, fantastic. Mark Hyden is the Director of State Government Affairs at our friends at the R Street Institute. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, great insight there from Mark. Uh, licensing is is just such a big issue. It does impact individuals and families and communities. And I think Utah has done a, a good job, as Mark pointed out. Utah has done a good job of removing a lot of the unnecessary licensing components or at least getting a good review process uh, to make sure that government isn't getting in the way of people going back to work. I also know at the federal level, uh, I know Senator Lee had a bill for military families in terms of their licensing, being able to transfer those across state lines, uh, really important stuff as well. So we can keep everybody going back to work. That does it for hour number one of Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. After top of the hour news, you want to stay with us. There's a new report out that shows just how valuable having a diverse set of friends is. We're going to talk to Daniel Cox from the American Enterprise Institute about that coming up after top of the hour news. Stay with us. Live breaking news. Now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's news station. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.